I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws in American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. The NWF Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Hunt to Eat, an inclusive hunting apparel company with a focus on community, real food, and conservation. Check out Hunt to Eat's NWF line, wild game recipes, and hunting and fishing designs at hunttoeat.com and enter the code WILDLIFE10 to get 10% off your order. Welcome everybody to the NWF Outdoors podcast. This is Aaron Kendo with my co-host Drew Youngdike. Today we have the pleasure of having someone I recently met on the podcast. Very interesting guy. He's going to tell us a lot about a realm that's slightly outside of our scope usually, but has a lot of uh, has a lot of nexus with being outdoors and, and being fit and getting out there and and getting it done in the woods. So. Welcome, Travis. This is Travis Macy. Travis is an endurance athlete from around the country. He's an author. He's traveled the, the world doing endurance racing. He lives here in Salida, Colorado now is how I ended up meeting Travis where, where I live. How you doing today, Travis? Hey, yeah, Aaron, Drew, listeners, um, doing good. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I had a good bike ride uh, this morning out on the S Mountain area. Um, always a good way to start off the day, and um, I'm, I'm pumped to be here with you. You know, uh, as Aaron said, we, we happened to, we literally met on the street uh, in an old west town here uh, a few months ago. My family and I recently relocated here uh, from the Front Range, and um, I've been a, a listener since then, so I'm, I'm just uh, pumped to be part of the community and connect with, with other listeners and um, really like what you guys are doing and um, enjoy listening to the, to the podcast. Excellent. Uh, well, we always start out, Travis, with talking just a, a short bit about what we've been up to lately. Of course, all of us are, are dying to get outside as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to do that. We'll start with you. What, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks or so? 
Yeah, you know, Aaron, I think you're right. People are dying to get outside. I've really noticed just since March with the lockdown is just an appetite for being outside. And it seems to continue even as things, you know, maybe move a little more back to normal here. But I know, boy, in Colorado, you know, you want to go camping or, you know, running, biking, out there scouting. There's just been more people. And, you know, on the one hand, sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, it's, you know, it's crowded out here. And like the opening day turkey hunting I just, I could not believe how many people were out there. I was in an area relatively close to Denver, you know, with some good turkey population. And, um, you know, on the other hand, it's like, I think it's great. You know, people should be out there. And if this is maybe a silver lining here with the pandemic, if this is a wake-up call for people to get outside and connect with nature and be out there, you know, with your friends or your family or alone or with your dogs, you know, however you want to do it, um, that's great. So, um, as far as me personally, I have continued to do, um, those same things kind of, as I always do, that's a big, big piece of my lifestyle, big reason that I moved here, um, from the front range to Salida, which is a little more, uh, remote, smaller town into the mountains, um, is, is just the, the outdoor access. There's, there's less people, you know, on a daily basis. I'm out there, um, running and biking, um, you know, doing a lot of fishing with, with my son or with my, my friends from high school trying to disconnect. Um, and uh, this weekend, we, we had a great little family camping trip. We went up to um, Turquoise Lake uh, outside of Leadville, Colorado, kind of a um, special place to me. That's um, part of the Leadville 100 running course, which is a very popular event in, in this um, endurance racing kind of stuff. And um, the uh, those Leadville races got canceled uh, this year, as with most other things in, in life. Um, but many of the runners still went out and, um, you know, ran the course. So uh, my my cousin and my uncle um, ended up doing that, and we got to uh, kind of meet them on the course and give them some uh, popsicles and uh, cans of Coke on their home stretch. And, um, you know, to combine that with a family camping trip where we did some fishing in the lake, you know, paddled around on the stand-up paddleboard, um, did some running on the Turquoise Lake Trail. It was a uh, it was a good trip, and you know, kind of now we're now we're back to an interesting uh, place of of uncertainty for many families. Those who who have kids, you know, hoping that they get into school. We're lucky here in in Salida that the schools are starting um, in person, at least as one of the options, and we're hoping that lasts uh, as long as possible. Particularly for a family that's new to town, trying to connect with people. So. Uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's the, that's the rambling answer, but lots of, you know, public land getting out there and, and just um, enjoying what we have here in, in Colorado. Good. I know you and I've talked a little bit about doing some scouting too. We're, you're, you're hunting in a place I've hunted a little, so maybe yep. we can talk, talk about that a little bit more too. Yeah, uh, sure. Drew, what about you? What have you been doing the last week or two? You know, really a lot of the same things, but probably on a smaller scale. Um, you know, just fly fishing the local lakes around here, uh, public land and public access, uh, getting out with family, uh, fly fishing, you know, just catching uh, panfish and rock bass and uh, little smallies and little largemouths. Um, and then doing a little bit of trail running too. Um, you know, it, I've only run uh, one ultra and uh, that was one in, one too many, but um, I've, I've started to get back more into uh, running the, the, the 5Ks and 10K trails uh, around my house just to try to stay in shape. And of course I like running trails much more than cement. So I've been doing a little bit of that mm-hmm. lately, except for 
uh, picking my son up from daycare. Uh, it's a two and a half mile round trip. So I'll make that run with the stroller. Um, not quite trained to hunt, but, uh, close. <laughs> good for you. Well, good. Uh, you know, and I guess since the last time we we've uh, done a podcast, I had the awesome opportunity to go do a nine day river trip. Um, and I was particularly happy this time because I rafted the green river through desolation, great Canyon. And the mm. last time I had done that, we were working on protecting the area. And in 2019, the John Dingle Conservation Act, I don't know the official name is the Dingle, Dingle Act uh, passed. And the stretch of river that I did, it's about 90 miles. And uh, the whole west side of the river, most of the west side of the river became wilderness and that stretch of river became wild and scenic. So it was nice to be able to kind of live in the fruits of our labor for a little bit and enjoy it just a little sweeter. Obviously nine days off the grid completely is, is always worth it. Uh, and then besides that, you know, right before the kids went back to school, it's been really hot here. Colorado is blowing up with a lot of fires. Uh, mm-hmm. So rather than fishing, cause the, the water's getting kind of warm. Uh, it, I've been taking my kids swimming and jumping in the river a couple different <laughs> afternoons, taking the dogs, you know, just getting out there, cooling off a little bit, getting a break and uh, trying to stretch summer as long as we can. So that's been my story. Uh, let's dive in a little bit more, Travis, on your world, man. You, I, I've looked you up and got to know you a bit since, since you've moved here. And man, you, you've kind of run the gamut as far as endurance athletic events go. You know, I, I read on your bio, you finished over 120 ultra endurance races in 17 different countries, traveled all over the world. I've written a book, the ultra mindset. Um, just tell us a, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, how the heck you got into that. Um, you know, what, what keeps that passion going? Just talk yep. to them. No, thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, born and raised in Evergreen, Colorado, um, on the front range outside of Denver, you know, when I was a kid, it kind of, uh, felt like a, a small town kind of like Salida still does. And it's, uh, you know, lost a bit of that feel, but still a, a great place in, in the mountains and, um, uh, you know, good, good outdoor access and good, um, good public land around there. Like, like we have throughout a lot of the West in Colorado. And honestly, that's, that public land is something I took for granted a bit, um, growing up just sort of assuming like you know that land is here we all have it everyone could probably go out and do this kind of stuff and and it was just part of my my um, daily experience throughout my childhood I was you know out hiking around with my dad and starting a mountain bike and um, in addition to doing the the typical team sports like soccer and baseball and basketball um, I was getting into uh, to distance running and that kind of became my main thing through the end of high school, um, went to school at, uh, at CU Boulder. Um, and again, that, that's another spot, just great public access. Uh, and in a place like Boulder, it's highly regulated by necessity because there's so many people. So most of the trails, for example, are, are foot traffic only and, um, you know, no bikes, dogs on leash, all that kind of stuff. Um, which is which is good and so i started getting out into into those areas you know running on the um on the track and cross country teams at at cu boulder um you know at a pretty high level i i was kind of on the team running with with a lot of future olympians and and those type of runners and uh you know i was just sort of struggling to keep up and stay on the team uh as long as i could and then uh from there i got into triathlon um club triathlon at cu and and uh from that kind 
kind of made the jump to uh, to adventure racing, which is a sport that um, I had watched my dad do in the late 90s, early 2000s through the uh, the Eco Challenge, which is a big race uh, that was on MTV and Discovery Channel and USA Network, and you know, kind of had this uh, this thirst for adventure of uh, you know not only pushing myself physically and having you know many of us whether we're into running or biking or hunting or whatever these outdoor things like we like that feeling of just working hard and breathing and being out in in, uh, in nature and uh, adventure racing is something that really spoke to me there so I, I got into that shortly after after college and was able to um, you know do that as a, at a pretty high level as far as being on a sponsored team where you know we had money to travel the world and some uh, stipend to live off of and you know it's it's not like being in the NBA or MLB or something you know you can be you know at the highest level in the world in these kind of sports and you know you're really maybe covering your your costs but um it was it was a great thing to do and a great great way to um to to travel around and um kind of branched out from there into you know other solo racing uh ultra running long distance mountain biking um ski mountaineering's become a real big thing for me in the last few years that's a, a neat winter sport where you where you skin up the hill with climbing skins and then ski back down and um colorado obviously is a great place to do that we have some of the some of the biggest um biggest races um and you know throughout all that time as as far as kind of the the hunting fishing connection um you know i grew up doing some some fishing with um with my dad we would fly fish a bit here and there um my my dad was never a hunter and just it, it wasn't his thing so i wasn't really exposed much early on um he he did have a good friend um uh, uncle ed i called him ed sandifer who's, who's actually from michigan and kind of part of that outdoors culture and and, and ed was a, um was and is a real old school type of hunter you know with the trad bow and making his own arrows and that kind of stuff and i and i got to you know just have a little bit of window there into into what ed was doing but you know never really went on a hunting trip or anything like that um and uh you know as my life progressed four or five years ago you know well into adulthood well into having my own kids and uh all that kind of stuff i was doing less uh racing you know more coaching which is uh one of my main income sources coaching of endurance athletes and hunters and um you know kind of looking for something else to try and i went out on a on a hunting trip with a buddy a friend of mine who's happens to be an ultra runner but also an elk hunter and he had a um, a muzzleloader tag for for an area pretty close to evergreen you know in september in the rut and um and here i was you know evergreen colorado is like elk central you know there's there's cows and calves that live there all year round and you know you you see them every day when you're driving around running biking i mean they just they live there it's a great place to, to live yeah, talk cows. about that a little more I mean, yeah i don't really know what that means. they're like on your lawn they're they're kind of oh faster. yeah oh they, yeah they are they are for you know gardeners <laughs> or people trying to you know my mom is a master gardener and like half the thing that you study in evergreen is how do you keep the elk away <laughs> you know it really like it, yeah. you, you see them every day and take them for granted and you know the only traffic jams in the area <laughs> are, are elk jams yeah. 
Well, they are, and they, you know, they yeah. cross the highway in certain places, and you know, there's a lot of incidents, and you know, the the bulls. I've seen them running my whole life. You know, they come in and they're bugling, and you know, the obviously it's cool to see a bugling bull, but like the main concern is like, okay, let's not run over there right now because these bulls are battling, and they might chase you. Or you know, I tried to go to someone's house once there, and there was about seven elk laying across the front lawn on the you know on the sidewalk going in. I'm like, uh, yep. what do I I do. <laughs> yeah, no joke. Sure. And, and there, you know, the, these, so my experience with elk is like, you know, how hard can it be to shoot an elk? <laughs> like, you know, I'm growing up with that experience where they won't get out of the way and they're just all over the place. And uh, it turns out I get out in the woods. And again, these are some of the same bulls who come into town for the rut. And then, you know, they're going back and forth onto the onto the hunting areas. And once you're out there in the public land, and of course the elk know that they're in a danger zone, uh, I, I quickly learned, well, it's very, very hard uh, <laughs> to get close to, to these same elk. And it turns out it's, you know, not a given uh, that, that you're going to get one. Um, but anyway, that, that first hunt with my buddy, I mean, it just, it happened to be a great day where the bulls were bugling and were sneaking around and, and you know, we got him close with his muzzleloader and, and it was just like, uh, you know, it didn't come together with a harvest, but it was just an awesome experience. And I, you know, a very physical one as well, where I had run in, you know, a number of miles to meet him where he was camped and we hiked around. And then, you know, I had to run, ran back out full speed to get my kids, you know, from daycare, which is an experience many of us can relate to. And, uh, and I was just kind of immediately hooked and, and quickly sort of started seeing that, you know, these, these skills I had as far as, you know, fitness or taking care of yourself outside or navigating with, with a map and paying attention to the terrain, you know, I realized I could use all of those, those things I really liked, and even more, you know, in many ways, I've discovered that, that hunting is like such a, it's a pure way to connect with nature, because you're paying attention to everything, and you're moving slow, and, you know, instead of just, you know, pounding your way through, running or biking with sweat in your eyes, you're, you're actually taking stock of what's going on, and, and I realized I, that I, that I really like that, and, and, and as I got to thinking about it, you know, am I going to hunt myself, um, you know, this is also something that, that I believe in ethically as a place to to get your food and it's and it's healthy food and it's um, you know in my mind taking responsibility for for taking an animal's life you know if if you're going to eat meat you go to the grocery store and you buy some chicken or beef or whatever you know you're you're not even thinking about that animal that that died and lived or how it lived or anything like that um, you know you harvest an animal whether that's a bird or a big game or anything else um, you know you're you're seeing up close and personal and it's a power experience and a sad experience and you know something that stays with you but I think you're really taking responsibility for um, you know for that life uh, so anyway that's kind of you know been a big big thing over the last um, few years for me you know I, I don't have a whole lot of experience as far as you know different places or species or whatever but I'm just kind of you know doing as much as I can it's been a great thing to you know, get out and, and uh, take my kids along and, and take my dad with us and, you know, have some good, good family um, sort of experiences. And, and, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's fit well with, uh, with the endurance training and racing, you know, especially you think about deer or elk hunting, you know, in the Rocky Mountains, fitness is a, is a big, um, a big piece of it and, and something that can really expand your potential as a, uh, as a hunter. We'll ask you about that here in a minute. It looks like Drew 
has a question for you, but <laughs> yeah, I do actually, have a question gonna, along those lines. I, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. You know, how, how has your, your endurance, uh, fitness kind of lifestyle and the lessons that, that you've learned through that translated into your hunting activities? Like, mm-hmm. have, have you kind of drawn on that mindset for hunting or is it more the physical aspect of it? Um, yeah, I think the, the endurance, uh, a, a bit of both, you know, there's, there's the mindset, which I think, you know, if you took a lot of hunters and in my opinion, a lot of endurance athletes, whether that's ultra runners, you know, mountain bikers, just people who like pushing the limit a bit with these kind of off the beaten path sort of sports, I think there'd be a lot of overlap because it's, it's people who like being outside, who like, you know, again, you want to go out and, and harvest and, and elk in the Rockies, like you got to have a lot of grit and you got to have this perseverance and this, this, this drive and this ability to, um, you know, bounce back from, um, from challenges and to deal with, you know, talk about dealing with uncertainty, like hunting is a great way to do that because you can do everything right and still nothing happens or you find no animals or it just doesn't come together because there's so much out of your control. And that's another thing, the longer the races are, you know, you want to go out and run like you did, drew a 50K or a 50 mile or a hundred mile, you know, there's so much uncertainty. There's so many variables. There's so many, it becomes, you know, more of, uh, it's a lot less of I'm going to have the perfect race or the perfect hunt, for example, and a lot more of, you know, how am I going to deal with the things that come up and do I believe in my, my, myself with, with my great resilience and, and just my creativity to solve these problems. So, so yeah, there's that mindset of just, you know, creatively solving problems, figuring things out, you know, working hard until it comes together. Um, and then the fitness is big, uh, for sure. You know, I think just a, you know, a person who can, who can hike, who can, who can cover, you know, steep, rough uh, terrain just has far more chances to, you know, oh boy, we, you know, we've, we've sighted some animal way over there. And, you know, many people it's like, oh, well, we got three hours of daylight left. We have no chance of getting there. Well, you know, maybe someone else who, who can cover the terrain faster, maybe they can give it a shot and maybe it'll come together and maybe it won't. Um, but I know the, you know, the, the two bulls I've been lucky enough to harvest. It really, it just happened that both of those were early morning uh, sightings where I saw them way up on the hill and the wind's still coming downhill. And it basically became a race. How fast can I get a thousand vertical feet, you know, at nine or 10,000 feet up this hill? And can I make it happen? And, and it did. Um, and, and again, you know, obviously there's many ways to, to harvest an animal, but I think you're just expanding your capacity if you could move a little more quickly or if you can, you know, go, go in somewhere that's whatever, three or four miles back and it is a bad spot, you can just come back out instead of sort of being stuck there in a two or three day, you know, mission or something. Travis, can you talk about, you know, there's obviously a lot of similarities you've talked on some of those, but what about things that are entirely different or maybe, maybe some things that you thought this is really going to help me and it just didn't, um, mm. or, you know, you know, things that you weren't expecting about the, you know, the, the advantage of being an endurance, endurance athlete and then it yeah, yeah. didn't work out. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, the, the main thing that comes to mind there is just the, the patience, you know, <laughs> slowing down. And, and you know, I think mo most people who've been successful hunting have learned that many times that's due to patience and, and a waiting game. And uh, that's something you're, you're not as much used to as being an athlete, um, moving quickly. Uh, you know, I, I definitely had to learn a bit about um, about clothing maintenance and layering as, as far as, you know, you're going out and you're, if, if you're going to be moving quickly at, or, or at a relatively high work rate, you know, even in the winter, the ski mountaineering stuff, you're not really wearing that much clothing. You know, you kind of got what you're wearing and you maybe have some, you know, extra stuff in case you, you got stuck for there was an emergency. But for the most part, you know, you're breathing hard and sweating the whole time and hunting could be totally different. You hike way up and you're, you're warm and you're sweaty and then you get there and you're going to sit there uh, in the cold for hours and hours glassing. And, you know, you, you just, you need, you need more stuff. Um, and then you also kind of, like I said earlier, Aaron, with, with the elk, you know, I quickly realized that, that my knowledge level of these species in, in the wilderness and how things work seasonally. You know, I again, I had seen elk every day my whole life, and I never really gave much thought to what are they doing? Why are they going uh, certain places? How do they, how do they uh, travel or move around or, you know, sanctuaries or following the snow level up and down? You know, none of that stuff. And obviously, still, I, I have a ton to learn, but I just kind of quickly realized I, I don't a lot less than, than I think I do. Um, yeah. in, in many ways, that's, that's good. I, I really, it's great to have a beginner mindset. You know, anytime you do yeah. something new, it's just, it's fun. Cause, cause the, the, uh, you know, if, if you're really good at something, it's, it becomes a lot harder to get any better. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the improvement increments are very slow. And especially as, as an athlete, um, you know, that can be tough. As a person gets older, it becomes even harder and harder to get better or to just <laughs> not slow down. Um, doing something new, especially if you have a, you know, if you embrace that, that mindset of I'm just here to learn, you can, you can advance real quickly. And honestly, a lot of that in, in the hunting realm for me has been through podcasts. There's so much information out there that especially yeah. as a beginner, you can just learn a lot real quick. With with that beginner mindset, it sounds like you've you've often taken on new challenges uh, where you've been mm -hmm. able to apply that, you know, from uh, adventure racing to uh, endurance to uh, biking, uh, you know, uh, solo racing, hunting. Yep. Do you find that that's something that you continually seek is to always try like new experiences, new challenges? Um, is, is that kind of like a pattern? Yeah, I I like it. I I know for me as as you know an outdoor endurance athlete, I think I've had some longevity there. And some of this is just personality based. Some people like to do the same thing over and over for years and years, and that's their thing. And for me, that I, I've looking back, clearly that hasn't been my thing because I get really into something for some period of time, and then I you know kind of evolve to something else, and then I'm doing you know this plus this, and and that's just that's been a good good fit for me. And I, I would also say one lesson I've learned, um, you know, from this outdoor stuff, whether it's whether it's racing or hunting or travel, is just that idea that you said, Drew, of, of um, risk-taking, which I, I think is, um, 
you know, lots of times the the things that we that we think are risks or the possible worst case scenario, you know, maybe it really isn't that bad. Um, and, and that could maybe that's in a, you know, a parenting decision or a relationship or, you know, moving like my my family, we, we really want to come to Salida and here we are. It's, you know, it's the, the middle of COVID. Like, can you move? Don't can tell anyone, know? though. It's not here. There's, no, <laughs> no, there's okay. nothing going on here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but we just we just like yeah, we got to go for it. This is what we want. We're gonna. I, I I've kind of one thing I tell myself, and you know, often relate to people when I'm speaking and that that kind of stuff is, um, you know, see if you can move more in the direction of what you want to go towards instead of but being driven by coming away from something you're afraid of, and um, oftentimes that that thing you're afraid of is maybe that's a good, good direction to, to go. Um, and that's a, you know, a little bit of, I felt about, um, doing a, a big race last year with, with my dad who has Alzheimer's and we went to Fiji and did a, a big adventure race and man, there was fear, there was uncertainty, there was, you know, a lot of reasons not to do it, but in our opinion, there was more reasons to give it a go. Um, and and do it and uh, i think a lot of a lot of people who you know who are um into this outdoor kind of stuff you kind of realize sometimes you you just got to go for it and you also realize especially with hunting that that failure is okay <laughs> again you know most times you go out uh especially big game hunting you're you're probably not going to get anything you know it's not going to come together or it's going to take many many days you're going to you, the way that you finally get it to work is because you tried this this and this and they all didn't work and then boom finally it worked and I, I think often that's the way it goes with with business or you know people out there who are entrepreneurs you know at some point you got to make a decision and just go for it and see if you can do things on your own and maybe it'll work and you know maybe it won't uh but often you can usually go back i think to uh to something something else if what you try doesn't work Maybe that's a good segue, Travis. And, you know, first off, you're right. It's about a 23% success rate for elk hunting. So (laughs) less than one in four people who go out, come home with one here in Colorado. But also, you you know, you do some, you do some uh, instruction for hunters and some training. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what that looks like, how you help them become better hunters and, and, you know, just what that entails. Yeah. You know, that's been um, just an extension of my endurance coaching, um, which again, I said, that's probably my main job at this point in time. And um, people pay a monthly fee to um, receive an individualized training schedule. So I don't, I don't have a elk hunting plan or, you know, a hundred mile run plan. This is a personally tailored program um, that I put into a training management system. So it's a computer-based tool. I've got all the activities in there that you're going to do day by day. And then you go out as a runner or cyclist or a multi-sport athlete or someone who's getting ready, you know, for your fall elk hunt and do those activities. And then the the data comes through, especially if you're using, you know, GPS, heart rate monitor, those kind of things, that data goes into the system 
system so I can track it and give you feedback and we're, we're talking every week um, you know about those uh, the, the endurance based exercises whether that's for hunting you know it might be things like trail running if you're into that it might be long hikes with a backpack it might be maybe you live in Indianapolis and you're like I'm spending ten thousand dollars to come out and do this guided elk hunt in Colorado <laughs> like I, I want to make sure I'm ready for it and, and again have just make sure you have that potential to uh, you know go the home stretch and make it through the week and, and get those opportunities um, many of the people I coach do live in in non-mountainous urban environments and then we get to be creative how are you going to get ready to run 100 miles in Leadville Colorado or hike around you know in the mountains of Montana um, with with what you have and, and I think you know as many listeners who live in those places you can figure it out you got to be creative you got to you know use treadmills and stairs and all kinds of stuff so that you're ready to go uphill but also ready to go downhill which is this huge thing in ultra running or in hunting you know any hill you walk up <laughs> you're gonna have to go back down and the downs really are, are what are probably going to pound your legs and tear up your feet uh, even more. So that's that's kind of how I do it. You know, and again, it's just a per personalized program. There's not any kind of app or, you know, uh, thing, a thing that you buy and then do yourself. Um, and I, and I, that's, that's again, that's kind of my flavor. I like to just work with people one-on-one um, -on -one and help them, help them move forward. That's something that's been really fulfilling to me. I, um, prior to kind of going uh, solo with self-employment, I was a, um, a high school teacher and I, and I've always kind of been driven by helping people and moving them forward just from wherever they are. Yeah, I wish I would have hired you a few years ago. I did a train to hunt and being in Michigan, going out to Grand Junction, Colorado mm -hmm. uh, for the finals, it was that downhill that just cashed my quads out where I felt like I couldn't even walk when I was done. So could have definitely used your coaching uh, before that. Yeah. Yeah, we've, uh, I've, I've been there, you know, not with, I haven't done train to hunt, but with, you know, ultra runs and, you know, you're, you're right that any, any downhill, whether you're running or hiking or, you know, hiking with a heavy pack on, man, that, that, that it'll, it'll smash your quads and you got to be doing um, either hiking up and down hills if you have them or very specific exercises to prepare for those eccentric um, contractions. So, yeah. It's, what about it's your nice. knees though? How the heck do you, how do you, how the heck do you fix your knees? As I get older, uh, it's, it's my, yeah. my knees and ankles, man, when I'm coming down, whoo, those big descents. Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, there are some, some exercises that, that you can do for that. You know, some of it's um, genetics, some of it's be, being used to it. And, and some of it is, is again, you know, I think it maybe as you go, I, I don't know, further in life, at least in my experience, you know, it's, it, you got to use wisdom to, uh, you know, wisdom and craft yeah. can maybe play and sometimes they can be more powerful than the fitness or the enthusiasm you know that you used to have um you can you can really rely on those All right that's why that's how i make it happen wisdom <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well let's let's transition a little travis too i mean you and i have talked about this a bit before you know, you're driven to conservation as well. And you've, and you've traveled the world. And I know you, you've talked to me about how that travel really helped you see a lot of different things and has informed your, your conservation ethos and mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, helped you be compelled to, to get engaged in conservation a little. Why don't you 
talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you first started getting into conservation and how some of those travels have helped, you know, motivate you on that spectrum. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. You, you know, really, as far as conservation or what, what that means or thinking about it, uh, you know, there was, again, as, as a kid, you know, something you just kind of take for granted, living outside, being in the woods, you know, you don't really, like, I wasn't out there littering or anything, but, you know, not really thinking much about it. And then, um, you know, going to school at, at CU Boulder, um, you know, the, there are uh, certain leanings there and a lot of uh, kind of environmental tendencies and obviously coming kind of more from, from the left, there's not a whole lot of talk of hunting, for example, at least in my experience in Boulder. Um, but, you know, started to learn a little bit and, and take interest. Um, and then post-collegiate, uh, yeah, some of that travel of the world, I I got to see a couple things. On the one hand, I saw just there, we still have these places on this, this globe that are just untouched and natural and beautiful. And I think of, uh, you know, trips ahead to, to the Yukon or to Alaska or uh, adventure racing, you know, in jungles in South America or um, way up north in, in Sweden and Norway, just these pristine areas uh, that, you know, many listeners have, have seen places like that, whether it's afar or close to you. And it's just, uh, to me, it becomes so so obvious. Like these these places are important, and and we need to um, we need to keep them. And then the other thing I saw I've I've seen in you know many third world countries is is just where the the infrastructure isn't there for conservation and preservation. And people, the only way to get rid of your trash is to burn it. Or you know the the life conditions as far as just having enough to eat and drink and a shelter are are such that like it doesn't even make sense to conserve or think about that stuff it's it's an irrelevant um topic and you know what's the relevance there to to america i I don't really know but it 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 just it's it's an it's a really interesting um topic i think i i think i can uh, you know almost relate to the rural farmer who well the only way i can survive is to burn down part of the amazon grow some crops or something, right? Of course, that's a bad idea, but you can see on an individual level why people have to resort to that. And, and I think maybe that speaks to, to larger sorts of needs for, for action. Um, and then really to bring it back, you know, the getting into hunting more seriously, that's kind of been the, the real um, introduction to conservation. And, and of course you take Hunter's Ed, you know, which again, I did as a, you know, mid 30 something, you, you learn about these things like, um, you know, the, the money from this is going to conservation or what is the carrying capacity of an area and how is hunting necessary for that in the, in the North American model. Um, and what are the things that we could be doing on a, on a daily basis. And that's, that's been fun for me to carry those lessons to, to my kids and, you know, be able to have, have you have a conversation with a five-year-old about, well, you know, why, why do we kill elk? Here's a living animal. We love animals. We have our dogs. We love them. You know, why are we going to take the life? And I think conservation um, ties into that. So I'd say, you know, overall, I'm still very, early on that journey and, and, you know, making decisions as many of us are, well, we've got limited time, we've got limited funding, you know, what are the things that, that I can do here in addition to, you know, making the extra donation when I uh, buy my hunting tag or, or something like that. And that's, that's a question I have for you guys, you know, as a, 
as as a you know relatively new hunter, um, what should I be doing? You know, if I can you know donate whatever it is, you know, some certain number of days per year to doing something or putting you know limited dollars to a certain organization or something like that. What what do you guys think? I mean, what what should I be doing? Well, I'd, I'd like to jump in on that. And first of all, I thought it's interesting that you learned those lessons by taking hunter safety as an adult where you were old enough to pay attention to those lessons. I don't know about you, Aaron, but like I took hunter safety when I was 12 years old and whatever we were taught about that, maybe I internalized it at the time, but I probably forgot it by the time I was 20. Um, and so taking it as an adult, you're probably a little bit more conscious of, of those lessons than somebody who maybe took it you know, as a kid and forgot mm-hmm. most of that. Um, you know, I, I got to plug in as a, as a board member of 2% for conservation. One of the things that you can do, of course, is mm-hmm. when you get your hunting gear, look at the brands that are certified by 2% because well, then what they do is they make sure that those brands are giving back to conservation efforts. Um, and, and I recently wrote something for them too that addresses that, that question. And what I tell people is just take what you do and join the corresponding conservation organization that supports that. I think if everybody does that at minimally, then we're supporting these organizations. So, you know, if you're an elk hunter, um, think about public lands. So obviously National Wildlife Federation, we, we take care of that. Some of the other public lands organizations, maybe Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. You know, if you're mm-hmm. a grouse hunter back east here, join the Rough Grouse Society and kind of so on down the line is, is one thing I, I recommend. So looking at conservation organizations that support the type of hunting, fishing, uh, or the place where you do that stuff, um, and shopping with, with gear companies that contribute back to conservation. Um, how about you, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I would generally agree with you, Drew, and I, and I would add a little, and that is that, you know, I've heard people complain, I don't want to give my 35 bucks to some organization or what about three if I like them all you know it's a hundred bucks and then I see that same guy you know over at the liquor store buying $75 worth of beers and you know a it's a it's a matter of priority and and you know do it because because you support it but then b the you know the good thing about being part of these organizations is they kind of feed you what you need to know. You know, I know Mm -hmm. Drew and I produce a lot of email alerts where if something's coming up in Congress, we email all of our subscribers and our members and let them know, Hey, now's the time to talk to your, you know, your leaders about this issue. Here's Mm -hmm. the top few items that are going to affect hunters and anglers um, and conservation. So we're, you're getting something for that money. You're not just paying that money and it goes away. You've got professionals on the back end, you know, uh, taking all that information, boiling it down for you, sending it to you on a regular basis. So I think, you know, a lot of this, Travis, it's really not, you know, rocket science. It's, it's a matter of, you know, it's not that sexy sometimes to just buy my membership and then, but follow Mm -hmm. up on the things that these organizations are asking you to do, you know, Mm -hmm. take that five minutes. It's really not that hard when you get an email that says contact your member of Congress today about XYZ bill, you know, go read a couple articles about it, write a nice comment. Um, You know, we often provide opportunities too with our most invested, you know, supporters to, to go back to DC and, and, meet with their Congress mm-hmm. folks and, you know, get in with our state agencies and, and do things like that because uh, they, they need those real stories from, from guys like you and, and people across the country who are out there in the woods 
uh, I like to say the hunting community and, and in the angling community too, but particularly hunters, there's nobody that knows the landscape better than those who are willing to get up at, you know, four in the morning, creep through dark, try to be undetected. You know, you notice yeah. things that the average hiker, biker, whatever wouldn't notice. And, uh, you know, you often do that in some of the same places over time. And so yeah. you're noticing changes in habits and habitat and, and those kind of things. So those authentic voices who've spent that time on the ground and who are invested members of these organizations are, are critical to, to the work we do. Like we, we really just couldn't do it without them. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you're probably already touching on a lot of those, but you know, we're, we're always happy when someone makes a deeper investment too, via money or time or, you know, expertise or whatever. So, you know, and get, and get your friends involved. One of the things we've encouraged people to do too is, Hey, just have a little happy hour at your house and be like, Hey, you guys know about this, this bill or this, this thing that's happening locally or, or statewide. And although socially distanced right now, yeah, socially distanced, but for outside or whatever we got to do. But, you know, that's an easy way to take five people or something and, uh, you know, get them a little bit more engaged. And oftentimes mm-hmm. they're interested and they don't know a lot about it. And, you know, there's so much information now that, that you kind of got to focus it in for people. So uh, mm-hmm. that, those are all things I think you should you should think about doing if you want and uh, yeah. get other people to do it, too. Travis, you know, within the hunting community, you know, if, if we hunt, for instance, deer, we might join the Quality Deer Management Association, or if we hunt turkeys, there's a National Wild Turkey Federation. Within the endurance uh, trail running community, um, are there corresponding conservation organizations uh, that people within that community generally join and support that, that helps out with public lands there? Yeah, that's a great question, Drew. And the answer is yes. There's um, running specific organizations. There's uh, mountain bikers have been very active with EMBA and other state and local groups for trail building and trail maintenance and uh, policy on things like e-bikes and, you know, just making the experience better for everyone. Maybe we've got bike-specific trails or downhill bike trails, so there's less negative interactions, um, those kind of things. Just like you would have groups for, you know, people who are into horseback riding uh, or what have you. Um, One thing I really like is a lot of the big ultra runs have um, trail maintenance service requirements. So to do the race, you have to actually log, you know, maybe it's a day or two of of trail maintenance work, whether that's with, uh, you know, the local county organization or a company that's building trails or, or whatever. And I think that's a neat way to to give back a bit. And um, furthermore, you know, one thing I've really liked about, uh, for example, the recent Great American Outdoors Act, which which you guys played a big role with and, and all these other groups also chipped in is like, hey, here is an issue that we can all unite around. And, and I just, I really, I like that because, you know, this day and age, especially politically, you know, things are so polarized. Here's something we can come together on. You got the runner with short shorts and the mountain biker with spandex and, you know, the family out there hiking or camping and the, you know, the hunter or the, the motorhead, all these people, you know, we all want public land. It's important to all of us. And if, if we unite around that, you know, we, we can, first of all, make things happen as, as we did in that case. Um, and 
I think we could just see each other's point of view a little bit. You know, we're, we're all outside and like the hiker doesn't have to hate the mountain biker and, you know, the, the biker out there in spandex doesn't have to hate the motorhead who's, you know, riding a dirt bike or something like, Hey, we're, we're all outside. We're, we're getting out and enjoying these places and, and we can, um, we can do that together. And if we work together, I think we can do it in ways that, um, that work for everyone. So I think uh, that's, that's been just p- politically and sociologically a really interesting issue that that people can unite upon and who knows maybe it'll bring them together more whether it's other political issues or you know things that we don't agree on as much socially or whatever um just seeing other people's perspectives that's a great point you know on on the great american outdoors act we worked on it a lot here at uh, national wildlife federation in fact our public lands office is is based in colorado there that, that leads that issue for us. But I received emails on that from everybody from the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation to Surfrider. Um, so it really shows a, yeah. the broad base of support from across the aisle for that issue. Yeah. So Travis, you know, you let's let's dive in a little bit. You were on the world's toughest race recently. It just came out on uh, Amazon Prime. I think it was what a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a ten part series. It's a gigantic race. It's in Fiji. Maybe just tell us how the heck that happened, and you know <laughs> what that race entails. And I know you, you did it with your father, and you have a really unique backstory with that as well. Um, you know, maybe just give us the the broad outline of what this race is, and we'll try to prompt you with some follow up questions as we go. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, for the hunters out there, imagine you're, you're like, you know, 10 day hunting expedition where you got to plan all these logistics and you're going to be out all day, every day, and you're going to be working off the land, navigating with map and compass, you know, eating a little bit, probably not sleeping very much. Um, that's kind of adventure racing, uh, in a nutshell and and with adventure racing you've got a a four person co-ed team that's traveling together everyone does all the disciplines you have to stay together as a team and uh you're you're trekking you're mountain biking you're paddling that could be rafts or these native fijian outrigger sailboats that we had uh maybe it's a, a canoe or a kayak and some other races um you're doing fixed rope sections where you're uh you know down cliffs and ascending up them, uh, navigating, um, you know, uh, fixed lines sideways across the cliffs, maybe a Tyrolean traverse, um, doing some other, you know, random activities for that specific area. Like in Fiji, where we built and paddled billy billies, which are, uh, you know, basically a raft made of bamboo uh, that you navigate down the river. So you're kind of doing all these things and it's a round the clock race. So the clock never stops. You know, the it, you got to manage sleep. How much or how little are you going to sleep? You got to figure out your gear and your clothes. Uh, and you have to work together as, as a team. So again, many, many of the things that, that you do on a successful hunter camping trip or backpacking trip or, you know, Aaron's river trip. Um, a lot of like that stuff, um, you know, with probably more navigating and, and less, uh, less sleep, but this is, uh, you know, again, this is a sport that's been around since the early nineties, mid nineties, the eco challenge came on TV. People at least in the U S kind of knew about it for a while. And then that fizzled out that the creator of eco challenge, Mark Burnett went on to do survivor and then the apprentice and all these other projects. So Eco Challenge wasn't 
going, but this sport was still going. And for the small number of people who were into the sport, you know, we had some big races. We would go to international races that had awesome experiences and maybe even some prize money here and there. Um, and then it kind of, you know, the last couple of years, oh, there's these rumors, Eco Challenge is coming back or Bear Girls is going to be the host or, or whatever. And finally it materialized and, and it really happened. And, uh, you know, the, um, they, they made a great race. It was a, definitely a legitimate race as far as the best international teams and that kind of stuff. They also very much, it's a reality TV show as well. So, you know, they're looking for good teams. They're looking for teams with stories. Um, and I, I think they did a great job with that. And there were some very, very cool stories and some really neat teams who, who they didn't, um, end up showing, you know, just because of the, the time available. Um, and for us, it was just, it was a great experience. I got, I got to, to race with my dad who did those original eco challenges and, and now has Alzheimer's. And that was kind of the, you know, the, the unknown, the uncertainty, how are we going to figure this out? You know, what's going to happen out there? There was a lot that we didn't know, but I think we came together as a team and managed, managed it pretty well and just had an awesome experience. And, and how long is it again, Travis? Did you say that? I, I don't think you did. It's a, it's this one, yeah, you know, a cool thing about these adventure races that I really like, kind of like your, you know, your Hunter Wilderness trip is you don't know how far it is beforehand. So you know here's oh. the basic principle, but they don't tell you the course or anything. Like it's not your triathlon where you know I'm going to do this and then this and this and these are the distances. You just know, you know, show up with all your gear and literally five minutes before the start is when they first give you the the map and the, oh. and the coordinates that you then plot on the map and they say here's the first, is basically the first fifth of the race course. So they say, you know, here's what you have. You got to make it to this point point uh, by it was you know sometime on the third day of racing you know here's the checkpoints go and it turned out in that in that time we did a long paddling and sailing section then we did a trek and then we did another paddle and then we did a, uh, a long stand-up paddleboard section and then another trek and then a mountain bike section and that took us you know basically whatever it was two and a half days you know for us we were kind of at the at the end of the pack the leaders probably you know leaders got it done twice as fast um but that's part of the you know again the creativity is you figure things out on the go and then you make it to that point and they say okay here's the maps and information for the next approximately fifth of the course for this race they happen to divide it into into five sections like that and the total so what, i think the, the whole the whole course was like 671 kilometers and the, the cutoff was 11 days um so you know again the the winners go so much faster they're just they're fitter they're more efficient they're more experienced you know they're finishing i don't know probably five six days and then and then you got the other you know a lot of the field as with many of these long races you know a lot of people are trying to make it in ahead of those cutoffs and managing that and that's really that was our experience this race we're constantly looking ahead we know we need to sleep we we know especially with with you know alzheimer's as the fifth teammate here we got to manage that by sleeping every night but we also need to stay ahead of the cutoffs and that was kind of our cat and mouse game wow so how did you get like did they contact you did you did you apply like what you know <laughs> yeah. how many people how many people were actually involved in this race 
too. Oh, man. Not that many, right? Well, it was actually, you know, in the world of adventure racing, it was an enormous production. I mean, there were 66 teams of, of four athletes plus one crew. You know, there were dozens and dozens of volunteers. There were dozens and dozens of uh, ropes people, you know, these climbing guides and stuff from all over the the world who are flown in to rig the ropes and stuff. And then there's another big crew of, uh, of um, camera people, you know, who are there embedded with the teams or hanging off rope and filming or filming from the helicopters or drones. Uh, and then you got all the producers who, you know, are, are on site doing interviews and this and that and uh you got a medical staff so it was um i don't know how many people it was total but it was it was a lot and then you also you know i definitely want to mention you had the local people and that was a huge piece of of this race as i think it can be for you know a, a, an international hunt or going to a different state is meeting people and finding out how do people live or you know knocking on the door of, of someone's house to see if you can hunt there like you have these personal interactions and in Fiji, that was awesome. I mean, man, these are the the nicest, most generous, most enthusiastic people I've I've seen really anywhere in the world. You go through a little village and everyone runs out and they're yelling "bula bula bula," which is kind of it's kind of like pura vida, you know, in Costa Rica, sort of a you know just this enthusiastic welcoming and, and excitement and go go go, and everyone's yelling that and cheering for you. And uh, you know, almost every night we slept in a village and you show up in, you know, a village any hour of the day. And it, by, you know, by the time we were there, they seemed to be coming through for days. So they, they knew people were coming and you find some random person and, Hey, is there a place we can sleep? And they, they either take you to their own house or they take you to someone else's house and you, you know, tuck in and often they'd make us tea and some pancakes or something. And then we lay down on, you know, just a small, simple house that's concrete with a bamboo mat and you lay down and sleep. And man, it was just such rich, cultural experience and and I think a lot of things to take away from from these folks of you know how do we live at home how do we how do we treat each other um and they were you know they they lived subsistence off the land so they're farming their their farms are like you're on the jungle in these mountains and you think how like this doesn't look like a farm but it turns out this is a, a field of crops that they're growing um and they they hunt uh, wild boars that live there um, they spearfish, you know, these areas where we we're trekking through these rivers with, with deep pools and stuff. You know, the young guys uh, would, would be telling us, oh, we dive down here and we spearfish with bamboo poles, you know, very rudimentary. Um, they, uh, the, the, there were these huge bats, these flying foxes that are like, no joke, three or four feet across. And, and uh, they throw rocks at those, you know, trying to hit them. And, and if they hit them, they take them home and eat them, you know, it's a food source. So, um yeah, it was wow. it was super cool. What awesome. what was either maybe the most difficult moment that you had to overcome through it, or maybe just like a really seminal moment from it that that really stuck with you more than others? Oh man, you know there were there were a lot of those. That I think you know maybe a seminal moment was just the um, the teamwork. We were able to come together and just. You know, everyone finding their own roles, and you know, we kind of d- discovered that, that if if Dad was talking throughout the night as it got dark, that's when disorientation, 
you know, would often come up more. But if he was talking with a team member, you know, just telling stories from the past, from his adventures or his career as an attorney, then he would kind of stay into the game. And so our, our teammate Danelle would walk with him just for hours every night, you know, asking questions, staying involved. And it was just, it was so, so beautiful and such an example of, of like we all, you know, in, in, in life, we all have opportunities to, to be a leader and to help people and to make someone else's life better. And we also all have times where we need help and we have to ask for help. And, and we were all, we were all doing that. And, you know, uh, Shane, our other teammate, he was, you know, help, helping out with keeping my dad eating and drinking. And he was kind of our water expert. So he's steering the raft and he's uh, flipping over. We, we had these, if you watch the race, we had these, these cool uh, outrigger sailboats at the start. And, and uh, we finally got the thing sailing and we're cruising along and all of a sudden a gust of wind just blows us over. And, you know, thank goodness for one teammate who actually knows what he's doing on the water because he was able to save us in, in that way, you know, and I was chipping in with, you know, reading the map or the logistics. And then, you know, my dad, uh, you know, just, man, he's just playing the role of, of a leader and the guy who's keeping us laughing and having fun and telling jokes and, you know, giving us these bits of wisdom here and there. Um, that was that was super cool um, for sure. And then you know the the big challenge for our team, you know, there's the physical side. Every one of these sections, especially in this the you know the eco challenge, they the sections are just long. So you know you're biking for you know eight, ten, twelve, fourteen hours, or you're paddling a you know a billy billy again this raft thing, and and your your paddle is another piece of bamboo that's like twelve feet long, and you're just paddling it nonstop for fourteen hours. Like it just it gets long, it gets old um whatever whatever you're doing and so I, th I think for for us probably the biggest you know particular challenge again, again was the was the alzheimer's and what are the what are the logistics and how do we one, one night dad got pretty disoriented and and you know just kind of things were going to his head and you know um it, it was really challenging and we realized wow we need to figure out how how can we help him through this because this is not him and here's a super intelligent experienced guy who's experiencing you know this thing how do we make it through and and we kind of realized again sleep was a huge piece of it sleep taking care of ourselves eating um working together um and, and you know we were able to do that for for the most part and, and how did you construct like your specific team? So you had you, your dad, who has the experience with it. You have experience with this as well as endurance. You mentioned a water expert. Was your yep. team kind of like people you already knew or did you deliberately construct it for those experiences? Yeah, you know, for us, uh, having been in this this thing for for a while, you know, it might be like one of you guys, you know, you're, you got your hunting or fishing trip or whatever, like you just know people who are into it. You're like, oh, these guys work well together. So it was, you know, it was all it was all old friends. We've all, you know, raced to the high level. We all, in, in fact, my, my dad and then uh, Shane and Danelle, the other teammates, they had all done the 2002 Eco Challenge in Fiji, um, which is the, the, you know, the previous Eco Challenge before this. So, you know, these are people who, you know, as, as, as my dad and I decided to race together and, and started thinking about teammates, it's like, 
wow, these are not only people who have the skills and experience, but also who are just great people that we want to be out there with. And that was true for our crew member as well. Uh, Andrew Spears, another friend of mine from Evergreen, who he's adventurous. He's got an adventurous spirit. He happens to be one of my hunting buddies as well. Um, and, he, and he's just like a gritty outdoors kind of guy. He can fix stuff. He can, you know, we know he can think on his feet and, and figure stuff out. And so it was that kind of team. Um, you know, I would say that they're actually the, the application period for the 2021 race, which is going to be in Patagonia, is open now through August 29th. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I want to do it, like, you know, your, your team could be... I think the first thing is, is, is the people. It's the team aspect. You got to be with people who you know are tough, who you know can hang in there when the chips are down. I think that probably is more important than, than experience. And, and then once you have that, then you want to have, you know, let's make sure we have someone who knows how to navigate with a map, you know, quite well already and can get really good about it. Um, and, and then again, we have different skill sets. Someone maybe who has biking background or trekking or, uh, you know, again, the water stuff. Do they know how to paddle and that kind of stuff? Um, and then again, you know, if you were thinking about it, see if you can find some hook, some story, you know, I think probably for next year, they're going to get a ton of applications. How do you make that special, you know, for your team? Yeah. So Travis, We'll we'll put some links in the uh, in the show notes uh, to the amazing ra- uh, sorry not the amazing race world's toughest race I, I confuse those two sorry yeah, but, no and then you and then you told me I think episode eight is where you and your dad and your team are are shown quite a bit and and gets into your story a little bit so check that out for our listeners but we'll we'll put a we'll put a note there and it's on Amazon Prime. And then I wanted to ask you too, you've also been on some hunting TV. You told me about uh, a friend in the Yukon who has a hunting show and you were you know, lucky enough to go get on a couple episodes and spend some time in the Yukon. Talk to us about mm-hmm. that. What, what was that and, and what were you hunting and just dive in a little on that. Yeah, that was, um, the show's called Greg McHale's Wild Yukon, um, and I think there, they probably had three seasons, the third, probably the third season is coming out uh, shortly here, I think it's still on the, um, the, what's it called, the Sportsman Channel, um, and then they do have some of the, uh, like, I think both the HUD sided are now on, on their YouTube site, um, and this is, it's kind of a unique hunting TV show. I really like it. You know, it's, it sort of almost combines this adventure racing and, you know, very active outdoor uh, sort of mentality with hunting. And, and the host, Greg um, McHale, is a good friend of mine who uh, first I raced against him in adventure racing, and then I uh, started racing with him. And uh, then he, over the last, he's been an avid hunter for years and years and years, you know, especially hunting, uh, hunting sheep up there. And I think he's got some, some, you know, record animals, um, sheep and moose. And uh, he decided he wanted to go big with this, with this show and, uh, and they made it work, you know, which is another talk about taking a risk. Cause I, I think in most hunting TV, you have to buy the airtime and then you try to get sponsors and hopefully you're at least, you know, making it even after a couple of years. And, and, he's done it and, and they're going and producing some really cool episodes and um, me going up there is just, you know, I kind of on TV, I played the, the hunter's buddy sort of role. 
Um, I didn't have my own tag because uh, it was very hard to get, but I just wanted to go up there again with that beginner's mindset. What can I learn? Can I have fun? Um, you know, just get out there and, and see, again, a super wild place. And when we're flying around in Greg's bush plane and you fly for five or six hours, man, and you cross one little uh, one little dirt road and the rest is just mountains and lakes and rivers and, uh, you know, animals and wilderness. And boy, was that cool being up there and uh, and seeing that. So uh, those hunts, one, one of the hunts we did was a, was a goat hunt, one was a, a caribou hunt. Um, and uh, I won't tell you what happened in case you want to watch them, but man, it was, it was a lot of fun. We faced some drama, faced some ad- adversity. Um, it was, uh, it was a cool experience. Nice. Well, we're getting close to, to finishing up here and it's, it's been a fascinating chat, Travis, and you, man, you got some cool stories and, you know, you and I'll catch up and I'll, I'll get to hear more of them. But, uh, uh, tell us, is there anything you want to kind of promote and send people to, you know, we always ask our guests if they're working on something or, or thinking about something that folks should understand. Uh, do you have anything you want to point our listeners to that you're working on? No, nah, you know, the Instagram is at Travis Macy. Um, and uh, as far as things, I'm, uh, we're, we're, my dad and I are working on a book together, you know, trying to, you know, mostly telling this Alzheimer's story with, with the race and the other things that have gone on. And that's kind of become a big, you know, cause and something that I'm hoping can um, can help people. Uh, you, you know, other than that, if, if anyone has questions about endurance racing, training, fitness, they're more than welcome to, to to reach out and um, sort of get a lot of those these days from the from this race starting up, but trying to stay as caught up um, as I can. And I, I just think you know I'll, I'll uh, put this out as much as as much as I can. And I'm I'm hoping that I think there's more and more you know either hunters and outdoorsmen, fishermen and women who are interested in, you know, maybe I make it a little more physical doing the running race or the event or the through hike or whatever. And then vice versa. I think there's a lot of, you know, endurance athletes out there who, who, you know, with the right exposure can be really attracted to things like hunting and fishing or how do I, you know, uh, run out to some awesome spot, do some fly fishing and then come back. You know, I think there's a lot more overlap and, um, that's something I just, you know, that's kind of, kind of something I look forward to seeing. Great. That reminds me too. I have a friend named uh, Andrew Todd and he does a thing called the flyathlon. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, <laughs> I haven't. You, you have to run, you have to trail run up the mountains and catch cutthroats and you ha- you have to actually catch a fish and then you got to go to the next drainage over and catch another one. And it, they're, they're pretty intense. Andrew's a kind of a distance guy too. Great guy. Anybody have a chance to check that out, but I actually did a uh, version of that last year, Bud and I, Buddy and I, the way that the river was flowing, uh, to be able to, you know, fish it going upstream on the way back. What we did is put our waders and, uh, rod cases in our and actually our ultimate direction uh running packs and uh ran up the trail a few miles so that we could fish the river going upstream back but we ended up having to make a detour because we saw uh, mama black bear with cubs (laughs) right on the trail so it ended up being a little bit more of a world's toughest race than we intended (laughs) (laughs) i like it yeah we my my friends and i made it this course we haven't done it yet we call it the the Cheeseman Traverse, there's this Cheeseman Canyon kind of on the front range, good, popular, you know, very, lots of people fishing there, but like 
it's it's this concept where you run a loop, like you run way up this road to one end of the canyon, and then you have to kind of canyoneer and trek down. But we're going to make up some point system where you know you got to catch X number of fish, and if you don't catch them, then you got a, a time penalty or or something. So I don't know. Maybe we can all come together and make up this uh, this event. Um, I think I'm doing pretty well in the running, but fishing. I am still mostly at the luck level, um, but if someone tells me what to use, maybe I could, maybe I can pull them in. <laughs> well, good, Travis. We always like to let folks leave us with any parting words, too. Uh, you know, whether it be something you, you want people to think about, or just a, a cool quote, or anything. You want to want to leave us with a last shot, and we'll go from there. Oh man. Uh... You know, I just think in this, um, sorry, helicopter flying over there. Um, in this time of uncertainty, I would tell people briefly, just, you know, hang, hang in there, um, you know, keep keep managing that uncertainty, keep keep the faith in, in yourself and in the world that things will work out and also keep keep getting outside. I mean, man, what a great source of, of medicine for mental well-being or for keeping your family going or, you know, not, not going crazy being uh you know stuck in uncertainty get get outside and go to those cool wild places whether it's far away or maybe it's it's nearby um and, and do what you can to to conserve them you know so that so that we have them uh, for us in the future and and for uh for everyone else that, that comes afterwards great words uh outdoors are truly a medicine right now i know so many people mm -hmm. taking the time to get outside and it's really getting them through these tough times. So, yeah. uh, and then you, and then you echoed what I like to say all the time. Uh, you know, we can't have all this privilege without obligation. So mm -hmm. take the, take the opportunity to do something, uh, to, to help protect and conserve these lands, to get people engaged, to help them protect and conserve. Uh, you know, we're, we're truly just so lucky in the United States, especially to have all these public lands and protected places, get out there, enjoy them and then take care of them. Uh, Drew, any, anything from you? Absolutely. No, this has just been a, a great conversation. I appreciate the, the opportunity to uh, have you on the NWF Outdoors podcast, Travis. Uh, you know, folks, go, make sure you, you follow them. Um, we'll provide the links in the in the show notes to the links on where you can find uh, your training plan and, and everything like that. Um, you know, I think this link between hunting and fishing, kind of your traditional like hook and bullet activities and mm -hmm the kind of non-consumptive, if you want to use that term, recreation, uh, outdoor recreation, like trail running, uh, mountain biking, that kind of thing. I think there's a lot more overlap than, than we often think of. And I think when we recognize that we're all using the same public lands, uh, I, I think we can get a lot more ground like we, like we did with the Great American Outdoors Act. And um, I like to see uh, folks like you who are bridging the gaps between those worlds and introducing hunters to, to trail running and, and adventure racing and maybe introducing some other uh, adventure racers to hunters. Um, I, th I think we all end up in a better place um, when, when those sides and those groups get along and work together. Absolutely. More wise words. Well, thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you next time on the NWF Outdoors podcast. Great. Thanks guys. We are NWF Outdoors.